Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we are on our final series of a ser- series that we've called Hooked, The Lies That We Believe. Uh, I hope the series has been uh, good and challenging for you, that it's stirred something in you. We've been looking at uh, what it takes to spit the hook of the lies that we believe and swim towards truth. Jesus said that truth will have an effect on our lives. He said it like this, that the truth will actually set you free. Now, the implied to that is that without truth, we are in bondage, right? That we are actually held captive to the lies that we believe. And so we've been trying to uh, uncover or expose the lies that deceive us, the lies that distort truth, and actually keep us shackled and keep us from stepping into all that God has for us. And so uh, today we're going to finish our series on Hooked with a message that I've titled, The Lies We Believe About Community. Let's go ahead and join me as we pray. God, uh, just continue to uh, be with us and your presence being close to us. and uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to speak and to move and to uh, direct us. And I would ask that each person here might uh, sense the presence of God. I pray that even some, maybe they're just visiting, that uh, you would surprise them with the presence of God just kind of uh, falling upon them. Would you speak over us your affection for us and your love for us? Would you liberate us and free us? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear the lies that we have believed that we would be able to step into freedom and step into truth? And for the offering that we're about to receive, that uh, it would be used for expanding the kingdom of God and kingdom values, um, that we would have a part to play in that in our community here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, depending on your eating habits, I'm about to either make you really hungry or really sick, uh, so you can, you can choose. But uh, I want to talk just a little bit about cravings that we have, that we, we have cravings for things that we know ultimately aren't good for us, but our cravings you know, kind of seem to win out. And uh, when we came back from India the first time, I remember when we land at Sky Harbor, uh, the first place that we went, even before going to see our kids was Mickey D's, right? Because, because we were craving uh, a Big Mac, and now, which is odd because I'm not really a McDonald's fan, but uh, there's sometimes that a Big Mac is just like, it's what you needed, right? All in India, the last couple of days, we were like, man, I'm craving a Big Mac, and French, what's odd is these fries were full first service, and now, like, who's eating my stuff, right? By the way, if you add a Coke to this, it's about 1,000 calories, right? Right there for Big Mac. Well, maybe McDonald's isn't your craving. Maybe your craving is is something that comes from Jack in the Box. Behold the Jack in the Box taco. Mm. Hey, anyone never have a Jack in the Box taco? Never. You've never had one. And now you think you're better than me. Is that what you think? Listen, I went to to Jack in the Box... 9.30 9.30 last night to pick up some tacos for props. And I told myself, I'm only getting two for props. I bought more than two, okay? I can't lie to you, right? Because I love these things. And what's odd 
Science has yet to prove what's in them, right? I'm not sure, but two for, they were two for 99 cents. Now they're like two for $1.29, but still one of the best deals you can get. Anybody, if you love Jack in the Box tacos, we need to party, right? I, they're fantastic. Now, the name on the fast food establishment kind of tells you what it is often that you're eating. So it's like Burger King, right? It's burgers and Taco Bell and, and like Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? The name tells you what you're eating. And then there's Panda Express. Who knew pandas could taste so good, right? They're delicious, right? And, and like, here, here, here's, here's another miracle of God. Krispy Kreme, right? If, if you... If you could eat a baby angel, this is what they would taste like. They're just outstanding, right? It's like... It's like the perfect food rained down from heaven. But, so we, we kind of have these cravings. We know that they're ultimately not good for us, but the craving often kind of win, wins out. And, and it's a two, uh, $200 billion industry that markets to our cravings, but they also market to something else. They market to our convenience, right? That at any moment... We can have, within three minutes, a meal of sorts, within three minutes, almost regardless of any time in the evening, that there are abundant opportunities on every corner, in every small town, in every city across America. It's easy, it's fast, it's cheap, and it's convenient. This, on the other hand, this is the opposite of this, right? If you take some of this you can actually produce a meal that is far better than anything you're ever going to get in a fast food establishment. Not only will it be better tasting, but it will be far better for you. But, but here's the catch. In order to take this and make it into a meal, it's going to take commitment, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, and it's going to take patience. Now, the thing of it is, is, some of the ingredients here are over here, kind of, like ish, it's, you know, kind of, to a lesser degree, and you may have something that tastes like a vegetable over here, but it probably was a liquid, right, manufactured in a lab somewhere, but some of this, this is similar to this, they, they have some things that cross over, but the reality of it is, is that this is not only better tasting, but will be better for you, and you can create a meal that is worth savoring, and a meal that is actually uh, uh, worth eating. You can take the ingredients, but it's going to require some time, some patience, some effort, and some planning, but in the end, it's better for you, because ingredients matter, right? Better the ingredients, better the product, better the ingredients, better the health benefits. But in our culture today, uh, this has become too much trouble. So we settle for a version of this that comes in this. It's, I can't even say those are close, but you know, we settle for a version of this that's given to us in three minutes and we never have to have to get out of our car because we live in a community where time is fleeting and this takes too much time, this takes too much effort, takes too much planning, and so we settle for some fast food version of it. It has the elements, some of them in common. You can live off of this, it'll keep you alive, but it'll never keep you healthy. 
right? We've become a fast food society, but we've, we've become a fast food society in more than just food. We live now in a culture of expressways and 10-minute oil changes and microwaved instant meals, and we want it instantly, right? Remember back in the day, if you're a little older, you remember ordering something off the TV and it said, allow four to six weeks for delivery. We'd never buy anything now that took four to six weeks for delivery. Amazon, in many cases, can get it here within 24 hours. And if Amazon's checkout isn't fast enough for you, they added a buy with one click. Just in case you're really in a hurry, you can just click it and it'll be in at your house before you know it. And so we have brought this fast food culture of sorts, and we brought this fast food identity, and we brought it into the church. And now we kind of want a fast food experience of sorts, in the church, there is, as a matter of fact, there is a church in Florida who guarantees that you'll be back in your car within 22 minutes. The entire church service is 22 minutes long. The sermon is only eight minutes. Don't get your hopes up, okay? <laughs> right? Eight minutes long, 22 minutes, everything, and you'll be back in your car. We crave convenience. We crave low commitment. We crave instant. We crave safe. And we brought it into the church. This is reflected in not only our approach towards God, we want the things of God, we want the benefit of God, but we want them now, right? We want them instantly, and don't ask me to have to invest in the ingredients of spiritual growth, the ingredients of of, of maturity. I just want the benefits of God instantly, or at least within 24 hours. And not only does that fast food culture affect the way that we relate to God, but it affects the way that we relate to one another. We treat community, when we talk about community, we're talking about us doing life together, meaning that I am enriching your life and you are enriching my life. That's what community is, right? I'm imparting something to you, you're imparting something back to me. We are better together. We're doing community together. We treat community like we treat our food. And and we treat our community that I'll partake of it as long as community is fast It's convenient, it's easy. And so we settle for this superficial, Facebook-quality, fast-food form of community in the church, which allows us to pass one another on Sunday and exchange pleasantries, but never invest in what is needed in order for community to really matter. It makes us feel good about ourselves because we can smile and wave to one another as we walk in. We can kind of nod or maybe you see somebody out in the store and you don't remember their name, but you know they go to the same church. You're like, hey, how you doing? You can get by by calling them Tiger or something like that or some fake name that we all know. You know, when you don't know somebody, it's Buddy or whatever it is, right? And it makes us feel better, but in reality, it's a shallow version of what community should be that makes us healthy. And so we substitute the ingredients needed for a healthy community And we settle for a fast food version of it. Now, here's the thing. It's close to the real thing. It has some of the elements of the real thing. And while fast food community can keep you alive, it will never keep you healthy. But that's what we've kind of taken on. It's convenient, it's easy, it's safe, but void of the ingredients needed for healthy community. The Apostle Paul in 55 AD, he wrote a letter to the church of Corinth we have the letters labeled as First and Second Corinthians in your Bible. The city of Corinth was located in southern Greece. We'll have a picture there of some of the uh, digs that went on there. The um, temple that you see there is the Temple of Apollos. And uh, 
Paul had a uh, personal interest in the church at Corinth because he was uh, uh, instrumental in its foundation during his second missionary journey. When Paul would go into a city, uh, he had kind of a common theme. He would go to the synagogue where the Jews were worshiping, and he would just begin to ask them, have you heard about Jesus, the Messiah? And he would begin to preach to them. And what happened most of the time is eventually Paul was ran out of town because he was considered to be uh, preaching heresy and uh, to you know kind of stirring the pot, and they considered it blasphemy. But in this particular case, in Corinth, we kind of get an idea of what happened. Now, Acts chapter 18 talks about Paul's time in Corinth, and it says this, that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, right? The ruler of the synagogue, he's pretty high up there, believed in the Lord, right? He became a believer together with his entire household, and many Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So, boom, instantly, the church is formed in Corinth, right? And, and over time, people are added to it. Paul eventually held, uh, heads back to Ephesus, uh, where he wrote the, church, the letter to, uh, we know as Ephesians, right? It's to the church of Ephesus. And he gets word that things in Corinth aren't quite going as planned. And so he begins to hear of some problems. And the problem was is that the Corinth church community was not able to fully break away from the culture that they came out of. Corinth was well known for its uh, sexual activity. Uh, in Corinth was housed uh, the temple uh, for Aphrodites, which was a uh, goddess of love and beauty. And uh, there were various sex acts that were very common. Matter of fact, a Corinthian girl uh, later was, uh, came to be known as a prostitute. It was, it was a very common act uh, of a lot of sexual immorality that was taking place in the community. And, and what began to happen is the perversion found its way into the church. And so Paul finds out about this, and because Skype hadn't been invented, he had to write a letter to them. Now, we know that Paul wrote at least one other letter to the church of Corinth that we don't have record of. Uh, and it's, it's known as the lost letter. So we have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There's at least one other letter known as the lost letter. We know that this letter was written because in chapter 5, Paul actually said, I already wrote to you about this once. We're not quite sure what he said. But he said, I already wrote to you about this once, the sexual immorality taking place in the church, and I told you to knock it off. He said, so I'm writing to you again, basically, because it's still going on. And now he kind of ramps things up a little bit and kind of pushes the issue, like you got to get control of this thing that's taking place here. Along with the perversion inside of the community, the church community began to split into factions and cliques that were already well-established in the community, and they just kind of brought them into the church. And so they began to argue among one another uh, who was more spiritual, and someone would say, well, we follow Apollos, and somebody else says, well, we follow Paul, and another group says, well, we formed an allegiance to Peter. And the church community, specifically in the church service, kind of became a three-ring circus of sort as each person was trying to outdo the other person to show who was more spiritual. And so things just kind of began to circle the drain, and Paul's letter, at least in part, was to bring correction to the church because of its failure to establish a healthy church community. They had a community of sorts, right? They knew each other. It was fast food, but they weren't investing in the ingredients to have a community as God had intended. So in chapter 12, Paul 
reminds them that, listen, you're not one body. You're not several cliques and several factions. You are, in fact, one in the same body. And he says it this way in chapter 12. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Both Jews and Greeks, which was, you know, if you were a Jew, you didn't want to hear that, you know, Jew and Greeks are equal. Slave and free, they didn't like that part either, but this was Jesus leveling the playing field, right? All were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but it consists of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So what Paul's saying is, look, stop despising the people in your community that you see as less than and start realizing that we're all in this together and the body is at its best when every part of the body is doing what it is supposed to do. And so uh, chapter 13, Paul then begins to paint this picture of what love should look like and what love should function like. That's a very popular passage, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. We read it in weddings all the time. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous, right? And we talk about the romantic side of love, and, and we read this in weddings, and it applies to weddings, don't get me wrong. But Paul was not painting this picture of what love should look like just for the sake of romance. He was trying to explain what love should look like in the context of a church community that was failing to sow into the ingredients that is needed for rich community to begin to take place. And so Paul begins to say, well, listen, this is what love should look like. And then at the end of chapter 13, he kind of narrows it all down and says, look, just in case I said too much for you and you can't remember, here's the three things that you need to know. In other words, if you practice these things, they will begin to turn the ship and you will begin to form a community that is pleasing to God. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He says, now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And I like how the New Living Translation says it. It says, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Remember, Paul is speaking into a fractured community of Corinth, torn by internal strife and jealousy and cliques and selfishness and immoral acts, where he says, look, This is what's going to start to form the community that needs to take place in this church. You need to sow into three ingredients that in the end are the only three things that ultimately matter. And he says, here they are, faith, hope, and love, right? You can can have this or you can sow into ingredients that in the long run are going to be better for you, but it's going to require some time. It's going to require some effort. It's going to require some patience. But if you sow into better ingredients, you're going to get a better product or you're going to get better community. So let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about faith. Faith is your staying power. Faith is uh, the power to endure. Your staying power is not your job, is not your finances. Really, your staying power is not even your health. See, when the enemy comes to to make you stumble, he's just not looking to trip you up. He's looking to take you out. And for the longest time, I thought that the enemy was after my stuff, right? He's after uh, my job security, or he's after my finances, or, or, or you know, he's after a relationship when I was dating, and I would ask people, pray for my job, and, or pray for the relationship, or pray for this. Never did I ask anyone to pray for the three things that really matter. Never did I ask someone, hey, Pray that my faith would not waver, or pray that hope does not diminish, or pray that my love would remain pure, right? I'm I'm thinking the enemy's after this, 
And the enemy really doesn't care about that. You know, your job and even your health, relationships, all of that are just means that the enemy uses to get to what matters, your faith, your hope, and your love. And he knows if he can hit you long enough that your faith might just be challenged. And if he can kick you while you're down, that your faith might just be compromised. Or if you're betrayed enough by people, even people in the church, that your heart might just become hard. And so Paul says, look, the first ingredient that should be exchanged in the church is faith. And here's the thing about faith in the context of community. Faith is best when it's a shared commodity. Now, listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about salvation faith, right? That is an individual response that all of us need to make. But sustaining faith, faith to continue to hold and to believe, and the faith to uh, step out into the things that God asks us to step into, faith to function uh, as a life as a believer, that faith is best when it is a shared commodity. Because faith is strengthened within the community. If you spend some time around someone who is strong in faith, you know that it stirs something in you. My faith is quickened and made more alive when I'm around somebody of extraordinary faith. It is almost infectious if you spend time around people of that nature. You get around the right person of faith and you'll walk away a different person because their faith is inspiring. Now, when I was 26, uh, my then pastor met with me to ask me to come on staff and step into vocational ministry uh, as a worship pastor. And he wined and dined me right here at McDonald's over two double cheeseburgers is where he uh, asked me to come on staff. And uh, then we got to the pay end of it. And I almost choked on my double cheeseburger. And I remember going home and my wife asked me, how did the meeting go? And I said, well, it was about a $30,000 cheeseburger because that was the pay cut to go into ministry, right? I was writing service at a Mercedes place. I was making decent money as a young guy. And the the pay cut was all I could see. It was all that I could envision. And I remember telling her, it's a 30, I was actually mad. It's a $30,000 pay cut for me to step into, into this position. And I remember very clear, my wife paused and she said, and? I was like, what do you mean, and? I'm like, how are we going to be able to function like this? And, and, and what's, it, what's it going to look like? And, and I remember she said this, she spoke this wisdom. She said, we cannot make this a decision about finances. And I remember I looked at her and I had tears in my eyes and I said, have you been drinking again? That's what I, that's what I, that's what I thought. And, and here's the thing. My wife is a preacher's kid, right? And she grew up in small towns and uh, f- small farming communities, and they never had a lot of money. And she knew how to stretch a dollar, and she knew what it meant to have more needs than money. And up to that point in my life, I didn't know any of that, right? I was making great money prior to uh, most of my life. My father made good money. And she understood something about the faithfulness and the provision of God that at that time I only read about. And so I stepped into ministry largely living off of her faith because she knew something, she understood something, she experienced something. And when I got around her and she began to tell me stories of how God came through time and time and time again when the family had little but somebody in the community stepped up, I'm hearing her faith and I'm thinking, this this just might work. 
Her faith was infectious to me. And so if there's something that you like about this church, you can thank my wife for it. If there's something that you don't like about this church, you can blame my wife for it because everything (laughs) comes back to her. All right? Listen, there's something about being around people of faith that stirs faith in you, right? Not saving faith. Faith is best when it is a shared commodity among the community. And here's what I can tell you. That if you don't have a faith community around you, then your faith is not what it could be, nor is it what it should be. It's the first ingredient of a healthy community. In the end, a community that exchanges these things, faith, hope, and love, is a healthy community. Yes, our saving faith is rooted in Jesus, but my faith is also stimulated and inspired and kindled when I've invested in the spiritual community. Spiritual maturity, I heard someone once say, is a group activity, and you will grow most when you are rooted in a group of other people like you who are experiencing faith the same way that you are. I said several weeks ago, it's a term in South Africa that they call Ubuntu, and it means that I am today because of who you are. It carries with it the idea that, that who I am is because of who we are together, and I love that imagery for the church. That says that who I am today is because of what some of you and people before you have sown into my life. And what some of you are today is because of what some people here and other people have sown into your life. That we are interconnected and our faith is stirred when we're around one another. Some of us are struggling with faith right now because we do not have a community of faith and we've not invested in a community of faith. And what will transform your faith, unlike anything else, is not another sermon of mine. It's not another worship experience. It's you getting face-to-face with other people in the community, investing in the ingredients of quality community, and you will see yourself grow in ways that you never have. Only then will you begin to see a faith that goes beyond circumstances. And this kind of faith is often stirred in the context of an exchange in community. Look at the next one. Paul says, these three remain hope. The author of Hebrews describes hope this way. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I love this, that we have hope that is an anchor for my soul. Hope is the belief that tomorrow can actually be better than today. Hope embraces a future. It gives you confidence that that not only can you survive, but God can still cause you to thrive. Hope is an anchor for my soul. And the reason I need an anchor is because I drift. That I may wake up in the morning depressed, but depression is only going to take me so far. I may be battling the what-ifs and have more questions than answers, but my soul is anchored, and the what-ifs will only take me so far before the anchor snaps me back. And this idea that hope is an anchor for my soul, that, listen, we all drift, right? But the idea that hope anchors us and only allows us to go so far. See, if you've lost hope, you know that you will do things you've never considered doing. There is something when hope is depleted, when hope is scarce, that you'll do something that you never contemplated before. And some of us are in desperate need of hope, 
hope that tomorrow can flourish, hope that the skies will part, hope that, that, that uh, seasons will change. And listen, please, whether you receive the hope you need just might depend on whether you surround yourself with a community of hope. Because hope dies in isolation, but the seeds of hope are sown best and nurtured in community. This weekend, uh, uh, Gulf Coast of Texas uh, was hit by Hurricane Harvey. And very soon, relief efforts are going to start. And when relief efforts arrive, they're bringing more than just supplies, right? Their presence represents a uniting of a community that offers hope for tomorrow. When everything's been washed away and, 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 and relief efforts begin to arrive, it signals to them that there is a community that is on their side and it gives them hope to rebuild for tomorrow. 12-step programs are largely based on an exchange of hope among the recovering community. Negro spirituals were uh, birthed out of the slave experience, songs uh, of, of preservation and hope that were sung among the community that gave them hope to continue on even under the worst of circumstances. The Kinder Transport was an organization in World War II, nine months before World War II, where the UK took about 10,000 children. Hope for Jewish parents who knew that their children were going to die when this you know, final solution was in full effect. Hope for them came in the form of communities that got together to get their children out, right? Communities like the Quakers and, and the Methodists and, uh, and the, the Jewish refuge community. Hope was found in a community. Because listen very carefully, hope is kindled when you understand that someone is fighting for you. And the reality of it is that some of us are here today and no one is fighting for you. And it's not because no one wants to fight for you, but it's because we've settled for this quick pleasantries on a Sunday morning and the, the, the internal conflict in our soul goes unnoticed because it's all superficial. And what will transform you is when you gather some people around you in a community of hope that begins to fight for you and will begin to stand with you and will begin to do what is needed to see you through that storm. Paul says three remain, faith, hope, and love. I mean, you would think that in 2017 that we would have overcome and evolved past our need for love, right? It just kind of makes you crazy, makes you do crazy things. When my wife and I were dating, uh, she lived at 12th Street in Thomas, and, and uh, we drive around there sometimes now, and we're like, didn't we used to make out in that park at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night? I mean, it was a drug den, right? And we're like, love makes you do stupid things. That, and she talked me into it. I was a good kid, you know. She was wild. So anyways, right? Love will make you do crazy things and will make you endure things that normally you would not endure. Love, perhaps most of all, love overcomes a multitude of sins. It overcomes family hang-ups and overcomes offenses and hurt feelings and allows you to look past the worst in people, allows you to remain in relationships even when they're getting ugly. Perhaps the greatest thing of living in a biblical community is that it has to teach us how to love one another. Loving someone who's lovable, hey, that's easy, right? But loving someone who's unlovable, that's where it gets difficult. Loving someone who, who is doing things that are ugly or, or they're not like you or they have different values than you, even within the church community, right? It's going to happen. 
Someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to do something that you don't agree with. And to love them through it is the challenge of the church community. And so every time in the church community, we're kind of uh, brought up against this fork in the road. Someone's going to do something that's going to challenge us, and we can either mature in our love, or we can cut and run and go to another community. But eventually, someone in that community is going to offend you, and you're going to have another decision to make. We can either mature in love, or we can cut and run and go to another community. And some of us, we just bounce from community to community because somebody offends us, but that's the point. We're all, remember I said, we're all slightly irregular. And so yes, plan on it. If this is your church, someone's going to offend you. I'm going to say something that you may not like. I'm going to push a joke a little too far, and can you love me through it? I'll love you through your ugliness. Can you love me through mine? Can you love the person next to you through their ugliness? That is the community ingredient, right? Faith, hope, and love, the ingredients that bathe strong community. Jesus gave the challenge where he said that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And one of the teachers of the law pushed back on that and said, well, define neighbor. If we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, then define exactly who is a neighbor. Because if I have to love people who are like me, I can do that. If you're asking me to love people who believe like I believe, I can do that. If you're asking me to love people of the same political party, I can do that. But if you're defining neighbor as someone who is different than me, that's where the challenge is. And Jesus doesn't allow us to choose our neighbor. Matter of fact, the context of that story is whoever comes into your vicinity, that becomes your neighbor, and to begin to love them as you love yourself. So here's my encouragement. I'm going to have the band come up as we're going to close. Here's my encouragement. Step away from the fast food table. Right? I get it. There are times, oh, these are so good. But eating these too much well, you're going to look like I look, all right? That's not, you need to do better for yourself than that, right? Step away from the fast food table and begin to invest in ingredients that in the long run are better for you. Invest in this faith community, right? Invest in faith, invest in hope, invest in love, invest in those ingredients and have something that is better for you and better for your health. Because you can, you can live off of this, but you will never be healthy off of this. You will never be healthy off of fast food, Facebook-style worship that comes and goes and it's superficial because that's not how God designed us. And for some of us, the only person other than me who is speaking into your life is the television or who knows what else. God never designed it that I would be the only person stirring you or feeding you, right? I'm throwing you pixie sticks in what you really need, and what you need more than me is you need other people around you doing community together. So here's what that looks like. We have an opportunity as a church. When you came in, inside of your bulletin should have been the Wednesday, Wednesday night life. And so we are providing opportunity for you to invest in a community that matters. And so the first Wednesday of every month is going to be breakout groups. Men will meet in the lobby around tables with youth boys in there as well. Women, you'll meet in tables around here. There'll be uh, messages that will be applicable to uh, men, applicable to women. And, and there's your opportunity. We'll have child care for uh, uh, 
fifth grade on down because middle school and high school, they, they can you know, be in the rooms with us, have a multi-generational thing going. Here's your opportunity. First Wednesday of every month, right? Men's groups, women's groups. And then the second and third Wednesday of every month, we're going to meet around tables in the same type of format. There'll be a table leader at every table, and you will discuss the Sunday's message. And so there'll be questions and scripture reading. And so if the message was about today, we'd start asking you questions like, you know, tell a time when somebody else expanded your faith. And that we will begin to learn and feed off of one another. And some of us, what we need more than another Sunday service is you have to move out of rows and you have to move into a circle because it will transform your life in ways that you have not seen yet. And so we're removing the hurdles, right? We're going to have child care for you. It's going to be here. It's going to be safe. Hour and 15 minutes, right? Get you back home in a decent amount of time. It's launching the first Wednesday in September. And then the second and third Wednesday, fourth and fifth Wednesday, we're off. Here is your opportunity to sow into some ingredients that will make you healthy. All right, so maybe you say, all right, I don't want to do the sermon rehash group. Then, you know, get one of these cards They were also in your bulletin. And check through some of the other groups that are forming. Maybe there's something in there that's going to strike your fancy and there's going to be something that you're interested in. Listen, we cannot be a fast food community and achieve what God wants us to achieve in this church. And so in order for you to have this, it's going to require some effort. It's going to require some patience. It's going to require some time. It's going to require some sacrifice. So here's how we're ending today. We're going to end participating in communion together as a community. Let's go ahead and bring that as lights down. This will be the first time that we've taken communion here uh, in our church facility. And so we've asked uh, three uh, sets of some of our leaders to come up, if you can come up now. And uh, they're going to serve you communion. Because communion is an individual response. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him, the uh, bread, we remember the gift of his body given for us, and the blood is a celebrate. The juice is a celebration of his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. We remember the gift of God to his people. But it's not just an individual response; it is a communal response, and it is something that we, as the body of Christ, do together. And so, we're going to have three songs of worship. We're going to have, you know, three songs of worship. I'd ask that you not run into this right away, that there is a time of communion that needs to be reflective, and maybe there's something you need to repent of. Maybe there's uh, 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 something that you need to recommit or, or sign up again, or maybe there's something you're struggling with. You just need to kind of have some time between you and God. But when you're ready, that you would partake of the elements as our church serves you the elements because we are a community, and that you would take the body, the bread, body of Christ given for you, The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. You can dip it in the juice and you can partake of the elements when you're ready. Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, let this be a grounded, uh, a grounding and a rooting for our church as we partake of our first communion in this building together. And as our church members serve our church, because faith is a shared commodity. We are in this together. Let there be an exchange of faith, hope, and love in this church community that we would experience growth in ways that we've never had, that we would move past the superficial, 
and step into the ingredients that make for sustainable life. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Jesus, 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 let all This morning we celebrate Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the Lamb of God who was slain and rose again. We celebrate you as individuals in our personal faith, but we also celebrate you as a community of believers under Jesus Christ. We celebrate you as a local community of believers here at Reveal. Speak over us this idea of us sowing into the ingredients of community that are life-giving and life-changing. Encourage those who need faith today. Rally around those who are strong in faith. Speak over those who need hope today that they would invest in the community and those who are hopeful would begin fighting for them. And teach us how to love one another. Let this community be an, an expression of faith. Let us give voice to hope and let our means always be with love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys for coming. I appreciate you being here. Uh, if you'd like prayer, we'll have some people here who would love to pray for you. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. Hope you come back tonight for a pretty cool worship experience. God bless you guys.